the vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. Yes, it can seem rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, and it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of your inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. Here on The Christine Uptrich Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Are you ready to step into your vibration of change? Hello, everybody. Welcome. You might be listening live on 1150 AM KKNW in the Seattle area, or perhaps on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Perhaps you're watching on Facebook Live on my professional page or on Transformation Talk Radio's page, or after the fact in one of the dozens of podcasts it sends up. But wherever, whenever you're joining us from today, we're grateful to have you here. And I tell you, I am so excited about the author I have on today. Uh, And you don't want to go anywhere because she's had this amazing journey. And it was a journey of what some would refer to as going to hell and back. And yet it means coming back to a new sort of life. And it is a profound journey. Um, But I want to say hello and thank you to Olivia and Benny. And I also want to thank Kyle, who's arranged all this. Um, Anyway, is it possible to find a roadmap to discover your purpose, to move forward in your life where it is connected with your heart, your, your, your step forward is aligned with your soul? Um, our guest today says absolutely, and there are some straightforward things you can do. Stephanie Zamora is an author and coach, a business and marketing strategist, and founder of Stephanie Zamora Media a digital media and production company, publishing house, and a full-service life purpose development branding and online marketing boutique. Her company has been merging the worlds of personal development, digital media, and online marketing to help individuals build purpose-driven lives and businesses for nearly a decade. Stephanie's work helps catalyze individuals on their healing and growth journeys so they can uncover the purpose of their path, step into who they're here to be, and do the work they're here to do. She does this through several brands, several online programs, and she also has um, several books out, including her latest, which is absolutely amazing. And you're gonna hear me rave off and on throughout the, the show about this in this book. It is called Unravel, Rising Up and Coming Back from a Season of Living That Damn Near Killed Me. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Stephanie Zamora. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here with you. You know, Stephanie, um, I'm going to admit this on the air. When I have books that come to me that are the autobiographical in nature, where that most of the book is the person's journey, um, I'm interested, but it It often doesn't engage me as a reader just because it's not the genre that I tend to enjoy. But I have to tell you, from like the first couple of pages of your book, I was so hooked. It is an amazing story. You are incredibly raw, vulnerable, and truthful about your experience. And it's both a heartbreaking and inspirational journey. I know that 
before life unfolded in a way we'll talk about in a minute, you were, you know, offering wisdom about staying positive, and yet it was wisdom that didn't save you during a dark time. And so this latest book is, is just so amazing. Thank First you. of all, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you came about coming to this place of, of writing this book called Unravel? Yeah, absolutely. So back in 2014, my life was in a really amazing place. My business was thriving and I really felt like I knew who I was and who I was becoming. And the only thing that really wasn't serving me was my relationship. And so I ended that two-year relationship and he started stalking me. And when I asked him to leave me alone, he ended up committing suicide, which absolutely flattened me in every single way. It left me with PTSD so bad that I couldn't put my own life story in order, let alone tell you what I did the day before. I would drive in circles around my house because in the time it took to lap the block again, I would forget that I was going home and I just was losing moments of my life. I couldn't remember who half my clients were. I couldn't build websites anymore, which I had done for quite a while. And it was really, really bad. And that PTSD actually led me into a toxic and abusive relationship with a drug addict who I believed in all of my blurry, all my blurriness was the love of my life. And so all of that together really compounded and led to a lot of health issues. I had adrenal fatigue so bad that it would exhaust me to walk from the couch to the kitchen. I had severe back and hip pain. I had intense panic attacks and anxiety, which I had never experienced before. And the worst of it was when I developed dysphagia, which is where you stop swallowing. And so for nine days, I couldn't swallow anything, let alone my own saliva. And I had one IV in the middle of that. I still don't understand <laughs> how my body didn't begin shutting down. And it was almost a year before I ate and drank normally. And throughout all of this, my business has just crashed and burned. It's dying a slow death. I don't know how to relate to it anymore. If you came to me and you're like, Stephanie, I want to give you money. How do I do that? Just by telling you where to go, I would just like deflect you energetically. And so ended up filing bankruptcy and just went through a lot of chaos in the aftermath of that loss. It really turned me upside down and inside out. And I learned so much more than I ever wanted to learn about what it really takes to grow and heal in the aftermath of these really challenging chapters and big life transitions. And I'm, I'm thankful on the other side of it. I have learned so much and I don't say that I don't have that gratitude without also still having the heartbreak from the loss and from everything that I lost after it. But I am very grateful to be where I am today. I feel very anchored in who I am. I feel very clear on my work in the world and everything that I've been through has really informed and influenced how I serve and support other people. But it was quite a journey. Yeah. And I think about how we can experience loss in a variety of ways. And you could have just experienced the loss of that relationship, you know, somebody you love dearly who you realized you needed to step away from, um, or somebody you loved who just died in an accident or died of cancer. But soon after your interaction of sending this man who you, whom you had loved, yeah. Out of your life, he commits suicide. I can't imagine, or I can imagine now that I've read your book, the, the, the depth of pain that can create on so many levels. Yeah. And, and unravel is like the, the, the perfect description of 
what you had to do. How did you handle the, the guilt and the sadness that your role played in his death? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I was very fortunate in that my relationship with his parents and his best friend was actually something that got me through it. And he had been keeping all of us at a distance, you know, kind of painting each of us in a bad light for each other. So it's, it's miraculous that we came together at all. And through that, through really sharing my experience and hearing their experience and, you know, getting a fuller picture, that was the starting point that did not erase or dissolve the guilt by any means. I would say it took, it probably took about three or four years before I could really say it wasn't my fault. And I could really reflect on the fact that, yes, I had a role in it. I absolutely did, but it ultimately was not my fault. And there wasn't anything that I could have done better or differently. And, you know, having lots of conversations, what was, is what was really powerful for me, like really being in the presence of people, whether it was friends or mentors or even therapists and healers or his family and my family and having it just constantly put back on me like this is not your fault this is not your fault and it takes a long time to really unpack that and the thing that I've learned about suicide is that everyone feels guilt I mean there were people who had very little interaction with him and weren't even very close to him when he passed that felt guilty like was it because I didn't return that one phone call or could I have been better in this way and so I've learned that everyone around someone who commits suicide feels that guilt and being so close to it and feeling like the reason that just takes a little longer to process. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, I, I've known people who have lost loved ones to suicide. And, and one of the things that comes up for people is not having known, like, yes, the person may have had issues with depression off and on, or you know, they knew that they were struggling financially, whatever it was, but the, the guilt that comes from not understanding that, that step was so close to just kind of diving off into death by choice. Absolutely. And I think that's what's so difficult about suicide loss. I mean, sudden loss of all kinds can lead to PTSD and can be very mm -hmm. traumatic and can be just absolutely gutting. And with suicide, we never get those answers. And especially if they don't leave a note or there's no clear signals leading up to it, which there, there was no note and there were no obvious signals that that's what was going to happen. And we can look back and see, oh, this is how he said goodbye to this person and how he said goodbye to that person. But you never get the answers. You never know what went, what went through their mind. What was the breaking point on top of everything else? And that's really hard for us as humans because we're meaning-making machines and we need mm -hmm. to understand and make sense of things. It's, it's, it's really difficult. And the more that you heal, I will say now, I don't have those questions, I'll never know the answers for sure. And I'll never know how big my role it was or what I could have done differently, but it's just, you have to make peace with, we're never going to know. And it is what it is. And all we can do is figure out what meaning do we want to make in the aftermath? What do we need mm -hmm. to do to heal and grow? And how do we want to honor and preserve his memory at the same time? Right. One of the, the additional things that you had to heal from was not only the, the questioning of your own possible responsibility in some way or another, but um, knowing that there were some others who probably blamed you. Yeah. 
Yeah. That, that takes it to a whole other level. And one of the things that I found fascinating was that you not only had to process your grief, that you ended up having to deal with PTSD. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between the two? Yeah, absolutely. Grief, grief is a full body, full mind body experience. I mean, and trauma is too, but grief on its own is just so messy and chaotic. I mean, I had experienced grief like we all have from loss of friendships or losing a grandparent or a relationship coming to an end, but that kind of grief so sudden and so unexpected and then feeling, you know, responsible for it. It was devastating and gutting. And, and I think I do a fairly good job, which was my intention with the book of really describing the, the feeling experience of it, because nobody warned me, not that anyone knew they should, but it was painful. And it's these waves of emotions that don't make any sense. You know, I, I would be driving along and something would remind me of him. The one I think I put in the book was, you know, a commercial for the next Bond movie. And it just like floored me. I'm screaming, raging at the sky in my car in traffic, just like so angry at him for leaving. And then there would be things that you would think would trigger me that it was just like, you know, grief is very unpredictable and the waves are intense and they come and they go and, and grief never really goes away. It just really shifts like our relationship to it and what we've lost has really it just shifts over time. And so it's, it's, it's the swirl of, of mess and emotions and really not knowing what's going to trigger you and what's not. And the PTSD piece was my brain's way of trying to keep me safe and trying mm. to help me cope with what had happened because with sudden bereavement, which I didn't know causes PTSD, even if we understand the death, if it was a car accident, for example, sudden bereavement, it, it shifts our sense of safety and security in the world. And it causes us to start questioning everything and add to that suicide with somebody that I, for the first time in my life, in many ways felt safe with and unpacking all the things around his death that really caused me to question things. My brain just short circuited. And it was like, I let's, let's not focus on anything that will remind you of this loss that will remind you of the relationship. And so it, it, shuts off parts of your brain. And it's fascinating. And when I really began to understand PTSD, like really learning about the neurological piece of it, I was amazed and actually grateful for my brain. I wasn't grateful for the experience and I didn't want to have to deal with it, but I was fascinated at how hard my brain worked to protect me. I, I share the story in my book of going home to my dad's house and not remembering where he lived and not remembering being in that house. And I kept pressing. And when I finally remembered, it was because the last time I was there was, was with my ex who passed away. And so it's, it's how we respond neurologically, emotionally, physiologically to loss in different ways. So my cat has, who is sound asleep across the room has decided to be a part of this conversation. Um, one of the things that was so fascinating for me as I read your insights about your journey was that, um, I mean, I think you, you say it so eloquently in your book that it, we think that it's the fall and hitting rock bottom that's the hard part, but you say that's not the hardest part. What is the most difficult part? Yeah, 
it was very eye-opening for me. The fall is not the hard part. Hitting rock bottom is not the hard part. And it feels like it. It's, it's devastatingly hard and it's physically painful, even if it's something emotional that we're going through. And what I realized is after he passed about six months later, I realized I was writing a book about everything I had been through and I was nowhere near being able to publish it because I was smack in the middle of all of it. But I began to really study the hero's journey. And for anyone who doesn't know, the hero's journey is a narrative pattern created by Joseph Campbell. And it's three different acts and 12 different stages that really make up the journey behind any story, whether it's what we're living or a movie or a book or mythology, you can see the hero's journey and all of it. And I started studying the hero's journey to work on writing this book that I didn't know how to write. And in doing so, I started to see where I was at in the journey. I realized after going through the healing work I did to start healing my PTSD, that I had kind of been through death and rebirth. And one day it was, it was Thanksgiving, the year that he passed, the year after he passed. And I had this like second coming, it felt like of grief because here I was approaching all the first year anniversaries his birthday was earlier in the month and I was just deep in my grief again. And I felt so frustrated because I thought I'm never going to get out of this. I'm just, I'm always Mm going to feel this way. And I felt very intuitively pulled to pick up the writer's journey, which is what I had been reading, which is for screenplay writing, but is just a really great way to understand the hero's journey. And I realized that I was going through the second ordeal, which when it comes to the hero's journey, that's like the bad guy comes back from the dead and they have the final battle. And I realized that that's all that was happening was my second ordeal. And we keep having these second comings, third comings of the things that we've experienced until we make the choice to rise up and come back. And it was in that moment (laughs) that I begrudgingly accepted, oh, I have to make the choice to come back. Like (laughs) we hear so many stories of I hit rock bottom and then I bounced back and everything was hard. And then I turned the corner and it's like, that's not at all (laughs) how it goes for these bigger things and really realizing you don't bounce back from rock bottom. You don't come around the hero's journey and just like swing through death and rebirth back around. You have to make the choice and the choice is really hard. It's like the absolute hardest part of the journey. And it seems like it's, um, it's probably a, a precarious thing to, to balance out needing to surrender fully And also making the choice through intention to move forward. How do you know when to let go and when to, you know, push forward in one way or another? That's such a great question. And I always, one of my favorite words that I preach endlessly is discernment. Like there's no, there's no one right way to tell when do you push and when do you surrender? And only you can really know. And everyone outside of you will have an opinion because they care about you and they want you to be happy and heal and whole and all the things. And for me, I've had to learn before my loss, I was very much a push, like just get it done, set the goal and make it happen. And there was very little surrender in my life. There was some, but not much. And I had to learn very quickly that when something was hard, in certain ways, it's like the flavor of the difficult. It was an opportunity for me to release my grip and to surrender and to allow things to unfold naturally. And sometimes when things were hard, it was discerning that flavor that says, this is hard because 
my brain is still healing. This is hard because I'm still feeling guilty and I don't believe I'm allowed to thrive and succeed and be happy. You know, this feels hard because of there's a reason that it feels hard. And that reason is not that it's not, it's no longer right for me. The reason is that there's something here for me to heal and work on. And so discerning that is so difficult. And I think it's very much a process of experimentation. I talk a lot about, you know, in the reorienting phase, when we're making the choice to come back, there were a lot of things that felt like bumping up against walls where there used to be doors. Like I couldn't be the person I was before. I couldn't function in the same ways anymore. And really discerning between things like, okay, my brain isn't what it used to be, but that's because I have PTSD and I want to get it back, which in and of itself was a balance of pushing and surrender because I had to learn through healing. My brain is no longer the same. And so it's just very, very messy and it takes an immense amount of self-trust because you're not who you were before. You can't be that person anymore. And it's like, you're brand new to so many things and just really experimenting and seeing how things feel and learning. Okay. When it feels that way, that's just a no for me. Now I can't do it that way anymore. It's not right anymore. When it feels this way, there's something here to heal. And and one of the things that seemed so healing but difficult that you did along the way was you let go of certain relationships that had served you because you were becoming a different person. And uh, that takes such great courage, especially when you have been facing the, the, the depths of pain that you had and these pe- some of these people helped you through it. How do we know when it's time to let go of a relationship? Yeah, that's a tough one too. It's discernment again, you know, when we're reorienting, which is what I call that phase. And this happens throughout our life all the time, but especially in healing, this constant state of reorienting is waking up every day and engaging with every moment as who am I now? Who am I in this moment? Not who I was even yesterday or five minutes ago, or who I was before, but who am I in this moment? And how does this feel to me? And what do I really want and need? And we have to become ruthless in our healing about what is supportive of healing and what is not. And the thing with trauma, especially is we can have no parallels in the healing process to the thing that traumatized us, not until we're stronger in our sense of self. And so the abusive and toxic relationship that I ended up in did a number on me. And I had to be very ruthless about There are certain ways of being as innocent and unconscious, even well-intentioned as they can be that are damaging to me and cause me to question myself that keep me small, that keep me doing things I shouldn't be doing that aren't right for me anymore. And so even the sweetest of humans that were there for me in the depths of things would do subtle things that were gaslighting or you know, talking me out of my truth or getting me to do things that I didn't want to do because they thought it was best for me. And I had to let those people go because it was keeping me stuck and it was keeping me at a certain level. And with reorienting, there's release, which is letting go of all those relationships and having really honest communication, honest and loving, gracious conversation about it. We don't just ghost people. (laughs) Um, And then sometimes there's renegotiating some relationships survived that I tried to let go of or came back around later when I was more able to be solid in myself. Mm, Yeah. And I think about how situations when we're facing any kind of trauma 
um, or we're, we're working to heal a really core aspect of, of who we are, we can get ourselves into codependent relationships. Yeah. And that codependence, it may feel good for a little while, but ultimately keeps us stuck. I mean, it, it, and so we have to shift that or, you know, or else we don't grow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the things that I also really appreciated about you uh, as you share your story is that you let go of a successful business. You let go of, you know, pushing forth things that had been profitable for you before um, because it wasn't representative of who you were at the moment. And, you know, that's something that I've had to do along the way as well. And it's, it's, um, it's frightening. And I know you had to deal with financial difficulties because of it, but it's also, again, it's like, you know, your, your whole situation with your relationship with life because of personal relationships had to shift, but also your relationship with your business and who you're putting forth um, had to change as well or change by choice. So how did you know it was time to shift what it was you were bringing forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I, so I write about this in my book. I pulled down seven years of content and websites and programs kind of seemingly on a whim. But what I realized is that every time I tried to rebuild my business, restart it, make money, you know, be a creative person in the world again, I was so trapped by everything I had already built. I couldn't think outside of that box anymore. And yet at the same time, I, I couldn't be her anymore. I didn't resonate or relate to any of my work. And, and granted at this point in time, much of it's come back online and we've kind of reorganized and shifted it to fit. But at the time I just, I, I didn't know how to be her anymore. I didn't know how to sell those things. I didn't know how to talk about them. And I remember trying so hard because I'm not making any money. I'm not paying all my bills, trying so hard to, what does my list want? What do my people want and create something? Mm -hmm. And I, I sent out to my list, I created this membership offering and it was like $7 and everyone had told me they wanted it and no one bought. And I was just like, I can't, I can't try anymore. I don't, it's clearly not working. Like my energy wasn't in anything I was doing. And so I drove around for a little while because I knew if I just stayed at home, I would just delete everything <laughs> and gave myself a little bit of breathing room, but came back and decided like it all needs to come down. And if, if there was an easy way to like remove it from the internet quickly, I would have done it, but it was easier to just set redirects and hide everything and put up a simple landing page and doing that just turned me upside down. I was so lost and confused because even though I wasn't her anymore, I had been her for seven years and now I was nothing but a landing page, <laughs> you know, and not working and not striving and really was fortunate in that privilege in the fact that I didn't have a partner. I didn't have kids to take care of. I had two cats and it was easy enough to feed them with very little money. And I was willing to go as long as it took and not strive and not try to create anything. And it wasn't long after that I had a download. I had a download about the brand Call of the Void, which is its own site now and the journey mapping program. And I never could have done that if I had kept everything up. It's like I had to step away from myself. And to this day, my mentor doesn't understand that because it was the least strategic thing I could have done. It was a very bad business decision from most people's perspectives. And yet is the best thing I ever did. 
Yeah, and, and, and I get that because um, if you've got something that's not reflecting who you are energetically, you've got this divided vibration is the way I think yeah. of it. Um, and so we have to be in alignment with who we truly are. So let me ask you this before we get into your, your, your mapping process. Do you feel as though the suicide of your boyfriend turned you into somebody else through your process or do you feel like it helped you uncover who you truly are? That's a great question. A little of both maybe. Um, I think a lot of what I do now, I would have worked my way towards because I crave more depth. And, you know, you mentioned my work from before not resonating or helping me when I was in my healing process. And it was true. It's like, it lacked a certain level of depth. And I just didn't, I just didn't know what was missing. I, I didn't see it. And my work was very effective and helpful for people. And so I think it allowed, it allowed a lot of parts of me that weren't fully aligned that I had developed to survive and stay safe and secure in this world, which we all do. We all have winning strategies and subconscious programming. It helped me shed all of that because I couldn't, I just could not literally could not function in the ways that I did before. And it caused such an unraveling of my entire life that I was able to in that messiness and the depths of it really be with myself. And I had to be honest, that was something that the dysphagia really gave me is I literally could not swallow my truth anymore. And any time to this day that I do swallow my truth, or I'm not being honest, or I'm in a situation I don't want to be, my throat still closes up, it still becomes hard to swallow. Mm. And there was a gift in that. It's like I had to become brutally honest with myself as well. And so I think it revealed a lot of parts of me that were already there. And it informed me in ways that created newness and who I am and in my work, because that's how it goes. Life is always shaping us. And maybe if he had still been alive, it would have taken several more years for something to really rock my world. And so I think some of those things would have still come forward and, and a lot of it's influenced by him. Mm, that's beautiful. Okay. So these days you are helping people in a variety of ways. Can you explain to our viewers and listeners what it is you offer? Yeah, I focus on purpose. Purpose is my purpose. And that's always been true. It just has more depth now, like I've shared. And we really help people at all points on the journey to living your purpose. And that starts at one end with the healing and growth work. So going through a challenging chapter, a big life transition often activates us and our purpose work. And from there, helping people uncover and identify what are your passions and purpose. And I have found throughout my entire career of doing this, that once people find their passion and purpose, most of them become very entrepreneurial. They want to do their own thing. They want to put something out into the world, even if it's not full time. And so we help them build brands and businesses and get themselves out there. And then we also do website design and development and marketing strategy. And I'm very multi-passionate, which is why my business is multifaceted and it's grown organically with me, but I love being able to serve people at all points because people who come to us who are already established that want to get their brand out on a bigger scale are the same people just years later who went through a challenging chapter or big life transition. They're the same people just at different points. And I just, I love seeing people live their purpose. We're just, we're so much happier and we're so much more effective in the world. So 
do you feel like um, there's an energetic aspect of being in alignment with purpose and business success? Yes and no. Um, I think if you're doing work you don't love, it's harder to be successful. I know that there are a good number of people who do it. And I would say that's because they're aligned on some level with their why. And so not every business is about expressing our purpose. Sometimes it's, you know, the means to an end. It's giving them the money that they need to have the lifestyle that they want with their family. And so it's not necessarily an expression of their purpose. And so I think it's more about for business businesses to be successful, you have to be in integrity with yourself. You have to be aligned in some way with your why and what you really want to be doing. And you have to believe in what you're doing. And all of us want to contribute. We all want to contribute and we want to contribute in a way that is true to who we are. And so as long as you're doing that, even if your purpose is primarily to be a mother or to have a farm or to make art, as long as you're still aligned in your business, if that's the way that you choose to make money to support that, then you'll be successful. So tell us a little bit about the way you help people map out their journeys. Yeah. So journey mapping is what I developed after everything that I went through. And it's loosely based on the hero's journey. So there are elements of Joseph Campbell's work in it, but it brings together everything I found to be essential for really navigating the aftermath of these journeys. And we're all on journeys. And sometimes we're on journeys inside journeys inside journeys. So it can get kind of <laughs> chaotic and and messy, but journey mapping is a five phased approach. And the first stage is really preparing for the journey. And you might already be on your journey, but it's about preparing for this work that we're going to do. And it starts with, you have to know yourself. You have mm -hmm. to have some relationship with your truth and your intuition. You have to have that ability to discern. You have to know what faith means to you, even if it's just faith in yourself and your ability to navigate things. You have to have trust. It's like really building the fundamentals because everything else builds on that. You can't navigate the harder parts if you don't know who you are, if you don't have that relationship to your intuition. Because even if you're working with or around people who have been through something similar, they can't help you. They can't help you make decisions that are right for you and, and grief and trauma and life transitions are messy and disorienting. And so we start with, you have to know yourself fully and you have to be really anchored in that. And then from there, the second stage is looking at the ordinary world. And it's essentially kind of building on the work of knowing yourself, but understanding your winning strategy, your subconscious programming, your beliefs and values, and also where you came from. And we don't look back at where we came from, from a place of wishing we could go back or desperately clinging to it. We look at it for a point of reference. When we can see where we've come from, it helps us start to orient to where we are now. Like that's who I used to be. That's how life used to look. That doesn't align with me anymore. Um, and this is what I've been through since then. It gives us a point of reference to start mm -hmm. moving forward. And, the and for instance, an example of that for me would be the fact that I became a research statistician. I was a math major in college, did graduate work in statistics. Um, yeah. And my father was an actuary, which is a statistician within the insurance industry. And so I was following in my father's footsteps in order to get my father's approval. And yes, I was really good at it. And yes, there were interesting things I worked on. And yet, you know, when looking back, it's like, oh, 
this is why I did this. And it was very helpful for me when I became a stay-at-home mother for a while with my young children to have that reflection of like, oh, that's my past. And this is why, because it allowed me to take off a, a layer of who I thought I was yes. to step forward and question, well, who am I and, 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 and what am I really interested in and what do I want to bring to the world? Absolutely. And when it comes to healing, like seeing a trail, a like a thread of the things we've been through and why we've gone through the things we have or what led us there, even with finding our purpose, like seeing those lines can be so incredibly helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the third stage is navigating the special world. And that's like the deep underbelly of the journey. That's where we go through death and rebirth and all its forms. And we work very deeply with our emotions. I really believe emotions are the gateway to everything that we want, especially the ones that we avoid. And so really learning how to drop through the layers of our emotion and access deeper parts of ourselves that will help us inform the journey and what it is that we want to do next. And so death and rebirth, there's a, there's a lot of challenge there to let go of things and people and ways of being and parts of our life and work that no longer serve us. So let's unpack what you said a minute ago about how those ones we avoid are the ones we really need to explore and face? Yes. So I work with the concept of the void. And when I started doing process work to heal my PTSD, this particular type of process work works with the unknown zone or the void. And essentially what we do is we start with contractive emotions because that's usually what's here if we're doing process work. And there's no good or bad emotions. There's no positive or negative. There's contractive and expansive. And so we, we learn to really be with the contractive emotions and drop through the layers of them. And when you can drop through the layers of them, you'll drop into, they call it source, but it's just expansive emotions and energy. It could be God. It could be spirit. It could be, you know, your higher self, whatever you want to call it, just the energy that is. But in between contractive and expansive, there's this pocket. And a lot of people get stuck there. They never get there because it's this sense of nothingness. It's this void. It can feel like certain death. It can be terrifyingly empty and dark. Like we all experience it in different ways, but it's the gateway. It's something that we have to pass through to access the expansive states. And we resist it because it's scary. And we often don't even get to it because we're resisting feeling angry or sad or whatever it is that's contractive. And when we can really feel and process the raw energy of our feelings, so no story, <laughs> no stuffing mm -hmm. it down, no avoiding it, like really being with it and moving through these layers, it's the gateway because it takes us to the void. And when we can be with that and drop through it, and some people skip it, they just drop right down into expansive. That's what I do. But when we can be with that void, we move through the gateway and we have access to so much more of what we want. We have access to true peace and joy and a rich sense of love and purpose and connection. And we can access those emotions in our day-to-day -day life, but like to really sink into them is when we have access to the highest parts of ourselves, and we're most connected to whatever that higher source is to you. And we're able to be really productive and clear things out and discover mm -hmm. things about ourselves and get inner wisdom. And so emotions are everything. Yeah. And when you talk about um, diving down to that level, what the, the image that comes to mind is a seed in the ground, in the soil, because that's where 
the the seed begins to grow. And so it, it seems like on some level, that's where some of our most powerful seeds of growth can begin. Yeah. It's where everything that we've kind of lost along the way coming into this life and being human and being inundated with the external world and systems and obligations, it's, it's all in there and it's all been nourished because it's just deeply protected by the soil to use your analogy. And so we're able to drop back in there and mine around for the things that we need and, and pull it back into this experience and really integrate it. And it's just, it's really powerful work. So uh, when people go through that stage that you're talking about, um, or that step, does a person need to have a therapist or a, a, a good support system? I would say yes. Um, process work, at least the process work I've done and do isn't therapy. It's a little bit different. And so you can find practitioners that are trained in it. I offer it to my clients as well, but I think it's important because it's really, it can be really hard to navigate through those emotions. I mean, some people get stuck and they cycle, they cycle up mm -hmm. and down through the contractive because they just can't drop beneath it. And so with process work, there's a lot of improv involved, which I find to be really fun because, you know, it'll be like, okay, you need to go here. And they're like, I can't, there's a wall. And it's very visual for people. Um, or there's all these like officers trying to shoot me down. And it's like, okay, well, what do you need to get past this? It's like, we actually have to work with whatever the subconscious is throwing up to be like, no, we can't do this. And that's hard to do ourselves because we're so resistant. And I'm so mm -hmm. grateful for my mentor that gave me my first process because there was one thing that I had to say out loud and process out and feel and acknowledge that was keeping me from being able to use my brain. And had he not pushed me, I never would have gone there on my own. Mm -hmm. And that's a very powerful scene in your book too. Um, and one of the things you just said a, a moment ago that I think is so important is you said uh, you have to process the feelings and get out of the story. Yes. Why do you have to get out of your story that's created the, you know, the trigger for the emotions? It's such an important question. Emotions are healthy, all of them. Anger, sadness, whatever we feel is healthy. It's just energy and motion. And where we go wrong as humans is that we're these magical meaning-making machines but we don't always stop and think about like, is this story productive and helpful? And is this actually what's happening? And where we go wrong with emotions is I feel sad, which brings up the story that I'm to blame and my ex is dead because of me and I'm not worth loving and my business is failing and I suck at life and all I'm unlovable. We get into our core wounds and next thing you know, I'm depressed and I'm stuck in it and I'm spinning and all I can see, my, my worldview has been completely colored by the story that I'm telling. When the truth mm -hmm. is someone died, all that happened, someone died, I feel sad in this moment. Maybe I feel angry. And it's not that we want to invalidate our experience because there is truth at times in our stories and interpretations, but where we go wrong is that we just, we lock and hook into the story and we're way over here when all that happened is the thing happened and I feel this way. And mm -hmm. so we have to really watch for our interpretations because 
they're often rooted in the past. They're rooted in our core wounds. They're rooted in our fears and limiting beliefs, all of which we need to reinforce because that's our worldview, even if it's painful. And this gets into a lot of the subconscious stuff, but it's just what I have really learned to do that has been so helpful for me and for my clients as well is to simplify immediately to what happened, what actually happened to acknowledge my feelings because feelings are healthy and important and we have to process them. And then to notice the story and interpretation and set it aside if I can, so I can just feel the raw emotion. And if I can't, you know, how can I counter it? How can I remind myself that this is not true? Like it doesn't do me any good to spin on this because otherwise we never get out. So you said something a moment ago that I I want to you to um, expand on a little bit. And that is we tend to want to reinforce our belief systems through our stories. Why do we do that? And and why is that bad? (laughs) So this is the subconscious piece that I am fascinated by. And I love, we all have a conscious and subconscious mind and the conscious mind gives us the ability to accept and reject information. So if you tell me I suck as a conscious person, I have the ability to accept or reject that as a child up until They say between the ages of five and seven, our conscious mind hasn't come online yet. So only my subconscious is wide open. So if you tell me I suck, I don't have the ability to accept or reject that. It's just truth. And so for the first chunk of our life, we're receiving information from the systems that we're inside of, from our family, from the people around us. We're seeing what's possible and what's not, what's safe and what's not. And every single one of us has a core wound and they're usually one of a few flavors. You know, I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I'm broken. I'm damaged. And And sometimes all of those things together. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And this locks in and gets reinforced by the things that happen around us and is influenced by our personality type and the things we experience and it shapes our worldview. So my core wound is that I'm broken and unlovable. And so I go through the world and things happen. And even though that core wound, that belief is painful and nobody wants to feel that the world doesn't make sense if it's not true. And I've had Mm -hmm. all these experiences that reinforce it, but that's because that's how I'm interpreting them. And so if something happens and I feel sad and I immediately go into, I knew I wasn't lovable. I knew I wasn't good enough even though that hurts and now I'm like really upset and stuck, (laughs) the world still makes sense. And so we have to understand those deeper pieces. Like now, you know, I went through a breakup recently and some of the things that happened or that were said trigger my core wound. And it tells me, see, you're not lovable. You're unlovable. And I know that's my core wound and my subconscious trying to make sense of things. And so I can step outside of that and say, no, I just feel really sad. And I understand why my core wound needs things to be different but that's not what's true. And so instead of being anchored by it or spinning out or feeling worse or becoming reckless or whatever it is that we do to cope, I'm just, I'm just bummed. And I hear that story chattering in the background and I'm able to choose new meaning and interpretation. That's actually productive and healthy for me. Mm, Yeah. And that's so important. I think about um, the many times in my life and, and in the life of, you know, friends and, and, uh, clients talked about interpreting something as being this huge loss, whether it's rejection, you know, losing a job, you know, whatever it is, kind of like, I'm a victim because, and then they move forward and grow through it. And then they realize, 
oh my goodness, was that a really important thing to happen? And I'm so glad that that other path got closed down for me because it allowed something much better to come along. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. And it just opens you to that process more quickly. It doesn't mean we're not still sad. We're not still hurt. We don't still feel the rejection, but it's, we're not hooked into the interpretation of it. And then we're able to just stay in this life in this world and engage with what's in front of us and feed the parts of us that are coming alive versus like, now I'm way over here for months <laughs> feeling like yeah. garbage because of a story. Yeah. Okay. So let's get to the, to step four. I think we're yeah. on, right? So step four is choosing the path for your return, which is that really hard part. You've been through the depths of death and rebirth. You've done a lot of this inner work and healing and choosing the path for your return is very much the reorienting process because I've gone through so much and I'm not the person that I was before. So what do I want now? And how do I navigate my way towards that? And as I'm navigating towards it, I have to figure out, oh, these relationships don't feel good. Oh, look at that. Seven years of my work don't resonate anymore. You know, we have to constantly reorient as we gain a new sense of self and step into the things that we feel called towards. And so it's just very surrender-based process. Like you just have to be willing to release your grip and your attachment because you're making your way back, but you're not making your way back as the same person to the same things. And so it's a lot of reorienting, which is really messy and confusing. And then the, the last stage is just stepping into what comes next. And this is where we're really able to, you're more anchored in who you are and where you want to go. And we're really able to start building and working with things like your winning strategy and subconscious programming that keep certain things from being possible for you and figuring out like what what foundation do you need to lay? What relationships do you need to build? What needs to change in your life for you to really step forward with a new sense of self and purpose based on everything that you've been through? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the, um, the reorientation phase, you're talking about surrender. I think that with the conscious manifestation techniques that, that you know, that people have learned and um, this perspective on becoming successful in business, or even within the context of relationships, we think in terms of intention, we think in terms of forward movement, um, but we often don't think about the surrendering to what is. We often don't think about letting go of what doesn't serve us. Why is that surrender piece so important to getting to that final stage? You know, we, we just have no idea what's going to be on the other side of especially this kind of work, this deeper healing and growth work. We think we know, and we have an idea, but when we lock into, it needs to look this way. And this is what I think I want. We miss the opportunities along the way to be shaped even further by life and experiences and people, as well as, you know, I look at where I am today and I absolutely I love my life and I love my business and I love where I live and everything that I've gotten to. And I never could have chosen this for myself. There's no way that I would have known even after my loss, when I wanted to start talking about healing and growth, that it would become this. And I have learned so much about surrender over the last several years, especially with my work, that there are some things that we push and there are some things that they have a gestation period and we don't know that gestation period and we don't know what needs to happen along the way and how it's going to change and shape us. And so it's just 
things can be so much more amazing than you could ever imagine for yourself. If you're just able to let go of how you think it should look and where you need to be. And it's not that we don't hold our vision. We hold our vision and what we want. We move towards it. But the surrender piece for me is understanding that along the way, I might get redirected or rerouted, or I might learn something new that changes that vision. And that's okay. It's supposed to happen. Yeah. And I also think about how sometimes we don't understand that life and some of our choices have planted seeds that will grow into, you know, something very expansive that we had no idea that, you know, when that seed happened to drop out of our pocket onto the earth, that it was something that was going to become important. Yeah, exactly. So before we go any further, because we're running out of time, I want to make sure our listeners and viewers know how to connect with you. What's your website? stephaniezamora.com is the best place to go. And I spell my name S-T-E-P-H-E-N-I-E-Z-A-M-O-R-A. Yeah. So Stephanie with an an extra E in there that we where there's usually an A. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So we just got a a couple of minutes left. Um, in, In like a minute or less, do you have a final message for those who are listening? Yeah, I always bring it back to the self-trust piece because I don't think that we can hear that enough, especially when we're in the depths of it. We all are intuitive, wise creatures. We just have to take the time and give ourselves permission to really explore how our intuition speaks to us and to trust it. And trusting Mm -hmm. our intuition doesn't always mean that things are seamless and synchronistic. A lot of the times it does, but sometimes trusting our intuition leads us into things that are meant to be hard and challenging and shape us. And so just because it's hard doesn't mean we made the wrong choice and nobody can discern what's right for you, but you. So within the context of the craziness of the last year, year and a half, um, is this something that's important to do now more than ever? Yes, absolutely. Because the world is in chaos as it should be. You know, a lot of good changes are coming and a lot of unexpected, not so great ones have happened. And it's, we have to have a sense of self and we have to be agile in the sense that we can surrender and we can allow things to unfold and we can allow them to influence us and and change how we approach things. And it's very important work, especially with what's going on. Yeah. And I, I want to add that I think it's really important for us to reassess our stories too because our our perspective our 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 life stories about you know what's happening in the world and or how the world works um, may be very different than the the truth of it so it's yeah. Uh, yeah these are these are crazy but amazing times yes stephanie i want to thank you for for joining us here today and i want to thank you for just being so raw and open about your journey because it's it's an amazing process to read about and i think that anybody who's dealt with loss or anybody who wants to get the core of their purpose should read your book unravel and i'm sure that they're showing it on the screen thank you for for being here today and for doing what you're doing thank you for having me and for doing your work in the world too it's so important thank you Thanks. And speaking of the work, um, we're going to put the link to the, uh, the Academy of Divine Knowledge. I've offered my introduction to the vibration of change class that I've, I've, I've taught that class many times in person. It's now being taught online at the Academy of Divine Knowledge. And I've got something else launching there the end of June. So 
please join me over there and um, yeah, and 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 share this important conversation. We're going to be putting the link up on my YouTube channel um, probably by the end of the afternoon or on Monday. Thank you for joining us. And thank you again, Stephanie. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to empower yourself to step further into your vibration of change, please visit my website at christineupchurch.com where you can learn more about my insights, upcoming events, and private sessions.